Hey y'all, good morning and welcome back to the Friday, March 11th edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast uh, on today's show. Yeah, today's show we got Stats by Will, Mr. Stats by Will, Will Warren on all things college basketball. March Madness is happening, but that does not mean we are going to take the week off and just like worry about what will be old, what will not. No, we talk about the biggest upsets this past week in college basketball in the tournament. Uh, Bruce Weber resigning at Kansas State. Uh, if SMU is going to end up making the tournament, just they're right there on the bubble. Um, teams who really need to have good conference tournaments over the weekend. Uh, Kim Palm mid-majors that uh, Will has got his eyes on. Um, the latest on Tennessee, Kennedy Chandler's free throw shooting, and if they can win uh, the SEC tournament this weekend. So uh, we're all rooting for that. America is really, uh, as a whole, rooting for the Tennessee Volunteers to take care of business this weekend. Um, and then, of course, stats that have caught his eye in the past week. All that and more, college basketball with stats by Will, plus Nick Verlaney of London is Blue on all things Chelsea FC, the pending sale. Uh, what all that means for the future of the club, uh, the latest on Christian Pulisic, um, their win over Norwich City this week, um, what Nick's liked, what's frustrated him of late with Chelsea FC, and uh, storylines to monitor over the next couple weeks. So all that and more on the March 11th, the Friday, March 11th edition here on the Chase Most Podcast. Thank you for checking out today's pod. And don't forget, if you have not already done so, go ahead and subscribe to this very podcast on apple spotify where you get your podcast and then of course if you like today's episode and you like the show make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on apple podcast spotify or however you get your podcast you can also watch this very podcast if you'd like to watch us at youtube so just type in youtube.com type in the chase thomas podcast you'll find us hit that subscribe button like share it out every video you need for this very program coming up right there uh also go check out the daily newsletter sports renaissance man substack.com sports renaissance man that's me uh type in your email that's simple uh t- check out the homepage chase podcast.com and then of course follow me on twitter at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right uncle darren let's go chase thomas podcast the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it All right, welcome back. Stats by Will is here. Oh yeah, Chase Thomas podcast late on a Thursday because it's time to talk college basketball and talk about all the upsets that we don't know about as of yet because it's going to be happening after we hop off this recording. But what are we supposed to do? Just not record a podcast until after everything's done? Like there's not going to be a right time, Will. Like this week, next week, there's just going to be uh, content everywhere. We're in that uh, in that season where there's just so much to watch so much to jump into um i just i wonder too because i see friends of mine or people on the timeline watching a lot of stuff what are people doing all day what are people doing all night because there are a lot of folks who watched the watched saint mary's run they watched uh what's going on with xavier and them going down and people were like oh do you see georgetown up like people are diving in on the gambling front there it's crazy. Like, are, are, what, what, what's happening here? Well, is people are people just <laughs> sitting there watching every college basketball game at once or just watching a little bit of each? I, I don't understand it. Threefold answer here. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say any of these are right. But mm-hmm. um, one, 
I think a lot of people have multiple TVs now. I still don't. Okay. I'm I'm a true to the bone single TV guy. I feel Same. like if I had I feel like if I had multiple, I'd get you know distracted, lose my focus. Basically, would half watch multiple games and not feel like I'd yeah, do you anything for me either. Right. You don't learn anything. You don't even yeah. know what happened in any of them, basically. So that's one part of the answer. Two, yeah. maybe people are big button flippers. You got people mm. who are like really rushing from CBS Sports Network to FS1 to Fox to ESPN, to ESPNU to whatnot. And to me, kind of similar situation. I will do that for commercial breaks. Mm-hmm. But in the middle of the game, I'm not flipping unless there's like a stoppage in play or the game is a blowout. It's like yeah. I, I don't like to lose focus, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I just it's wild to me. And we're getting a lot of college basketball experts popping in. There was a mm-hmm. there was a meme that I saw that made me think of it because it's that time of year where people are like, oh, I've got a strong St. John's take that I've been sitting on for five months, but I'm ready to unleash it. Like it, this is like if I was in an office setting, I think this would be hell week for me coming up <laughs> where it's like people they want to talk about their bracket and then they're really like committed to their bracket like really like no here's my line of thinking for this this and this and it's just someone who hasn't watched college basketball for four months Mm -hmm. and then just watch some clips and checks maybe kim palm for 17 minutes and then we're like all right i think i got a good perspective here to develop this ardent take on uh what i think about providence and yeah that that's my nightmare (laughs) will is like someone doing that to me and coming up to me and just being like you want to see my bracket here's hey would you like me to tell you why you're wrong about uh creighton just being the sleeping giant Uh, like creighton yeah they're they're great love me some creighton um i don't know this is like the the worst kind of the worst part of the year for me if i was in an office setting i think i don't get it too much being work from home but yeah. I, I will say uh, i've noticed an uptick in um did you ever see the meme of the obviously the bus one where it's the guy looking at the rock all sad and the guy looking at the skyline very happy that generic mm-hmm. sort of meme template but mm-hmm. one is uh the guy looking at the rock as the advanced analytics nerd <laughs> and uh the uh, oh the yes. guy looking out is that boy good Mm-hmm. that's that it's like the perfect dichotomy of people you run into on um selection sunday and following mm-hmm. of like i actually kind of prefer the people who are just in it for like goofs where it's mm-hmm. like they don't really have any strong takes they're just like yeah i love the NCAA tournament because it happens every year and it's like a fun distraction from my day job yeah but yeah the uh the people who populate the timeline where it's like, uh, you know, if you believe in Kansas, you're wrong. Or, you know, here's why I've watched St. Mary's this year. Or uh, like lo- like people who will be really into um, North Texas, like yeah. four days from now. Those are the people I'm just like, mm, can we skip past this? Mm-hmm. Or like the guy who will like be super strong about picking a 14 seed over a three or a 15 seed over a two. And like maybe it works out and that person gets like a bunch of Twitter clout. Mm-hmm. my least favorite thing don't the like. people who are really just beholden to their bracket just yeah i can't that's the you missed the whole point man like mm-hmm. the i just i'm not gonna do a bracket this year uh i never really do a bracket it takes the enjoyment away from me where yeah. it's like why do i want to have an emotional investment in this eight nine matchup between syracuse and michigan state <laughs> why do i need to actually care about who wins this basketball game um yeah, yeah i don't know i yeah, I think you and I are cut from the same cloth on this uh, sports mm-hmm. conversation front, but that's not what the average dude wants. 
he's he's not about it. He wants to yell at you about why Kansas. It, this is when it all comes to fruition for Bill Self this year. This is it. Or like LSU, man, they're getting healthy at the right time. Will Wade's swan song. They're going to be motivated from. <laughs> <laughs> Will Wade. I don't think he'll ever be fired. I, I'm yeah. standing by my take of like he names his uh, death day. But Ooh. no, I totally get it. I mean, it's like. It's the same people who yell at me wanting to know if Tennessee is going to cover 4.5 or something. It's like, um, not for me, family. Yeah. That's a YP, not an MP. That's what my <laughs> little brother says. Um, well, well, we saw AM knock off Mike White and the Florida Gators, the buzzer mm-hmm. today. What God were bless your... White Michael. It might be time up for him. Does he have a spot on Rick Barnes' staff next year? How does that work? Ooh, Danny could do it. So... Real quickly on that, mm-hmm. I I think it's sort of been out there before, but I do want to remind people like his buyout is almost nine million dollars. Oh wow! Yeah, which is absurd. So they gave him that extension last summer, and typically, you know, when a coach has been like kind of, eh, you get the extension, but you get the lowered buyout. It's like the Butch Jones thing. Tennessee kept giving him extensions but lowering the buyout. Mm-hmm. They just kept the buyout the same. <laughs> Florida didn't fix it. They were just like, okay, here's two extra years, and therefore two extra years of buyout money. And you just fired Mullen. So yeah, maybe they maybe he does stick around. I think they might encourage him to look elsewhere, but who's gonna take him? I mean, he's not a bad coach. No. He's just not I it's just Florida can do better than Mike White. We know that they can do better. So it's it's an SEO thing. mm -hmm. Because one, you came after Billy D, and two, his his uh his uh, popularity right now is lower than it's been maybe ever. Good jump by Cedric. In the I was going to say, I, I was wondering if you saw that he was thinking about it, but he went for it. I like it. <laughs> but, uh, his SEO is for, or his like hotness has never really been lower than it is right now. Cause this is the first time Florida's missed the tournament in six years. So I, I it's going to be, he can try and leave, but it's going to end up being for like, maybe if Ole Miss decides to pull the trigger there, which I think would be really weird, but I don't know. Whole weird Mississippi deal State might too. Um, huh. I mean, there are some SEC jobs that might come up, and that he would actually. I mean, South Carolina maybe if that came up, and I don't think he would be interested in the Georgia job. Um, no. So no I don't know. Should be. <laughs> no coach should be. I I did want to say, like, frankly, very exciting times right now. Where mm-hmm. and it'll end here in about you know ten minutes in real time. Where the first five games of the SEC tournament are all going to feature, feature like losing coach might get fired situations. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Georgia, Mizzou, Ole Miss, State, and Florida all like re- potentially all could have different dudes on the sideline. That's wild. Um, I wonder if Andy Kennedy gets back into the SEC. This I cycle. want. I, I'm selfishly. He should. But I want him to like be just good enough at UAB to retire and get back on the SEC Network broadcast. Yes. He was so good on the broadcast. Brother Andy, if you're out there listening, you have two fans right here. Yeah, for sure. Like that, I, I'm right there with you. Um, that would be cool. Um, I am curious. How many do you think ultimately get fired of the group? Like, How many SEC coaching changes do you think? Because we got the one obvious one with Georgia, but yeah. who else? The most fired man in America. Mm-hmm. I have put down my stake of three. Okay. I, I, I've already, Crean was an automatic, mm-hmm. but I think Frank Martin either is fired or like just takes a job elsewhere type of thing because this is, I mean, this is year nine, 10, 
and he's made the NCAA tournament one time. And I know like Seth Cohen is not really a great basketball school, but one time in 10 years is pretty disappointing no matter where you go. And, and Kansas then, State just opened back up. It's time to go back. It's time exactly. to go back to the Little Apple. <laughs> <laughs> it's There's always time. And so I think it's Crean. I think it's uh, Frank Martin. And I'm going to put my stake out there and say that Ben Hallen probably is elsewhere next year. I don't know if that is a fired situation or if that is a he, you know, takes a pay cut to reset the clock situation. Or, I mean, he also could just retire. I I don't know. He's a little older, so I don't know Mm -hmm. if he wants to sort of reset that clock or not. But it doesn't seem to be working there. And states, you know, uh, at the time of recording, they're beating South Carolina. But say they don't win the SEC tournament, they're obviously not going to make the NCAA. So that's one bid in seven years, which is quite disappointing for them. Man. So, but those are those your three? Those are my three. I'm going to say... The Kermit thing is really interesting because I, I don't get why Kermit's on the hot seat because Ole Miss is a bad job. I looked it up this morning because I saw there's a lot of noise online after they lost to Mizzou last night. And again, mm. this Mizzou team's bad. But uh, so last 60 years of the program, Ole Miss has finished above 500 in SEC play 13 times. Yikes. Kermit has two of those in four years. <laughs> so to me, it's like, what is he doing wrong? Mm-hmm. Like he's he's... I mean, I get that they've only made the tournament once, but uh, you look at the landscape of Ole Miss basketball history, and it's largely just this. I mean, it, it would be I, there are a lot of firings that you understand after three to four years, like Tom Crean. Obvious, I get that. You know, like when Kim Anderson was fired at Mizzou, I was like, yeah, obvious, very easy call. Kermit, I wouldn't understand getting fired. Um, but the the other two that I'm curious to see. Uh, Mike White, obviously, that could be either, you know, maybe they try and rework the contract to reduce the buyout and say, you know, 2022, 23 is your prove it year or Conzo. And the thing is, on paper, Conzo is an obvious firing because it's just not worked there. But the athletic director there and Conzo are best friends dating back like two decades. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, does the AD really want to fire her best friend <laughs> it's it's a wild situation and what an amazing work by Conso to get in a situation where his <laughs> athletic director is somebody he's known for 20 years and is loved by um and then like leading into next year i think there's only like one other true hot seat that's not mentioned so far which is jerry stackhouse huh. i don't know if it's hot hot but it's like year four there you got to have some sort of prove it material where you're like at least on the bubble i would think because I, mean, I thought Bryce, he would be Bryce better Drew than this at this point. It. Yeah. I, I thought he would be better than this. I mean, Stackhouse the says, is typically very good. But, yeah. So it is kind of interesting. Um, like him, it, because like, so Stackhouse and Ewing both took tough jobs, like mm-hmm. tough academic jobs. When they went back to college, they left the NBA and they were like, we're going to go be awesome at uh, these small schools or at these schools that it's just harder to win at. And they were, if they had waited it out, if Stackhouse had waited it out in the G League and got promoted to NBA bench, it seemed like he was on a the on the fast track to get an NBA job. And yeah. Patrick Ewing was an associate head coach in Charlotte for many years with Larry Brown. He was someone who just kept interviewing and it was like, it's only a matter of time when Patrick Ewing gets an NBA head coaching job. And then they both take these horrible jobs, essentially. 
And now they're both probably not their long-term. Like if it's not this year, Ewing and Stackhouse are not just going to be 20-year coaches at Georgetown and Vanderbilt. It's not going to happen. And now it's like the resume's not good. Like now you're not even sniffing an NBA head coaching job because of how these college jobs have gone. I don't know. In retrospect, man, I would have just waited it out. I would have stayed in the NBA. I, I may have uh, just, I may have just waited that one out. Cause I think both of them would have gotten head coaching gigs. And I just, I don't think maybe, maybe it's just one of those things where they were just going to be better coaching pros in college. Yeah. It's, it's different from both levels. I, I think at least Ewing made sense. Cause that's, he went to Georgetown obviously, but the Stackhouse one is very out of left field and feels yeah. even more puzzling in retrospect. Yeah, I think he, I want to say his son went to North Gwinnett back home. So I think he was living in Georgia. I mean, I think he has, um, I mean, he went to UNC, it, it, that the Southeast area. Maybe he just wanted to get out of Toronto and out of um, cold weather. I don't know. I'm not yeah, sure. And Nash- Nashville's a cool city. I mean, maybe he was just like, yeah, Nashville sounds fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bruce Weber out at K-State, fired himself. He's yeah. uh, he's done after three years of no tournaments. Um by all accounts, a likable dude. Uh, but another place it's really hard to win at when you don't have a what was the dude's name? It wasn't Grievous Vasquez. What was his name? I was one like oh, number twenty one. Was it Jacob Pullen? Are the on hold the on. Elite Eight team or hold on? Jamar was the, Samuels was the other guy. I remember being very good. Who else was on the Beasley team? And that it's still kind of amazing they had Michael Beasley for that year. But <laughs> oh, yeah, like the uh, uh, Bill Walker. Walker. I remember Bill Walker. And then, He's an okay player. He played in the Knicks for a little bit. Yeah. Fred uh, Brown. Who was the one who hit the shot? He hit the big time three in that tournament game. Um, that was Jacob Pullen. Are you thinking of like the Xavier triple over? Was that really Jacob Pullen? Was that his name? I'm pretty sure. Let me see. Uh, no, that's not who I'm thinking of. I'm looking no. at him now. It's not Jacob Pullen, but he did hit some big shots. It wasn't him. Um, wow, this R- is going to drive McGruder? me. No, this not is a McGruder. great little name that Kansas player <laughs> section. Dennis Clemente, Mm-mm. Curtis Kelly. Curtis when I hear Kelly, it, I could not place on a on any map. When I hear it, I'll tell you because I I'll remember 100. percent That Xavier, I do remember most of that. Xavier oh, I found it. It's Clemente. Did you say Clemente? Clemente. Yeah, yeah, it is Clemente. I've lost my mind. Okay, it was Clemente. The Xavier team had a one-time viral star, Jordan Crawford, who made the shot yes. to tie it. Jordan Crawford was people forget man was a bucket. He mm-hmm. was a bucket. He was the he was the meme of uh, what you were talking about at the top of the podcast. Uh, this guy just gets <laughs> buckets. Yeah, that that was Jordan Crawford cooking at Xavier. Yes. How bad do you feel for Xavier fans? Um, mild amount. They've they've made say. more elite eights than my teams have. <laughs> um, no, I I think it's a. I would be a very bummed if it was like so late January, early February. That's a team that's like staring at a five and six seed. Yeah. And flash forward to today, and I mean, or really yesterday when they lost to Butler, I don't think anybody could have seen the collapse coming to this level. I mean, we talked about it the last time we recorded for them to have downturned this badly. And we mentioned them specifically as like, okay, you better beat Georgetown, sure, but you cannot lose in the first round of the conference tournament and expect to be safe. I mean, they very well might have played their way fully out of the field. And, yeah, I mean, frankly, when you're looking at them right now and you look at the resume, like, a, a, yeah, seeing here, you know, the St. John's loss at home was pretty bad, but it's like DePaul, 
on the home. Butler at neutral site is a probably the worst loss you could have in the Big East this year, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I do not know. Like I, I I would really be upset to see them in the field, frankly, because <laughs> they they have decent metrics. I mean, fifty eight's not bad for a first four quality team. But any team that's like lost eight of 12 looks like it's going nowhere and just lost to number 126. I don't want to see in the field. Like if you're going to do that, if you're going to consider them, you should consider like all the small schools like the like North Texas should automatically be in the field no matter what. If you're going to put Xavier in it, like make North Texas a 10 at that pace. So I I think uh, do you think Xavier ultimately gets in. Do you think they're. Okay. I think they're they're probably done. It would be frankly a shame if they got in. Uh, it, I, they still could because the other bubble teams have not really impressed me. <laughs> I think uh, Wake Forest. You know that was probably the biggest upset of the last week, right? Wake Forest losing to Boston, a bad Boston College team. Um, it doesn't seem like the rest of the bubble seems interested in locking up their spots. Like Michigan collapsed against Indiana and maybe Indiana is obviously in the bubble too. So that's sort of a, you know, good and bad situation for the Xavier's of the world. So I won't say they're fully out, but uh, I'm waiting for like one of these, like I'm waiting for VCU to take control of the A-10 or SMU to make it to their title game or something like that. Or like Rutgers to go far. We need to see a bubble team. That's like, yeah, I want to be in the field. I want to play. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, speaking of bubble teams, SMU, a lot of debate this week about whether or not they're a tournament team. Do you think they're a tournament team as it stands right now? The fun thing about SMU right now is that they are the very last team in the field on bracket matrix, as I talk. Oof. So they are squarely on the cut line. And the the SMU interest to me is that they have pretty good like wins pretty good advanced metrics like 52nd on Torvik right now uh obviously they have to beat Tulsa tomorrow that's their first conference tournament game and I think to feel fully safe they probably need to get to the AAC title game how realistic that is I don't know but uh, I think anything short of that and they will be sweating out selection Sunday yeah well we'll see well um when you were forecasting this week, Will, and you were looking around the conference tournaments and you were like, okay, here's a certain, like, I, this is what you like for folks that aren't familiar. This is what Will does around his office. He's just like, all right, he, he printed out um, all the brackets. He printed out all the conference tournament stuff. And he was like, all right, circle, 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 circle. This is what I got to do. And that's a, an actual recreation of what Will does <laughs> around the office. Um, just for the folks watching on YouTube. And you were like, okay, they've got to have a good tournament. They've got to show me something. Who were the teams that you had circled that were like, I need to see something in the tournament from them. They need it. I mean, we mentioned Indiana. Indiana really yeah. needed to beat Michigan today to feel like they have a real shot. And that win is interesting because it, so I still think Michigan's fine. They're in the field, but Indiana badly needed that to stay in the conversation because if you lose the first Big Ten conference tournament game, uh, the rest of it's probably, I mean, you're probably not hearing your name called. I i think they, strangely, are in a similar situation to other Big Ten bubble teams of the past where they're going to go up against the one seed tomorrow, Friday, uh, Illinois. And if mm-hmm. they beat Illinois, I think Indiana should be in, frankly. Like, that's a heck of a win to have on your resume. Um but I, I don't know. Right now, they're probably in that same situation as SMU, where they're right on the cut line and they're going to be sweating. 
but the team that I would say is in the field that has not already <laughs> embarrassed themselves like Wake Forest and Xavier that really needs some wins, uh, Wyoming. Wyoming has had a really bad stretch of play to end this season. They were an eight to nine seed two weeks ago. Right now, they're the final 11 on Bracket Matrix just outside of the first four. They need at least one and possibly two wins to feel safe, uh, which would be a shame because this Wyoming team has been one of my favorites to watch all season. Uh, They're pretty one-dimensional. They post up a massive amount, but if they can get in the field, they could be a problem for the wrong matchup. And then um, a team I'm watching to see, you know, can they get over the hump and get in? Because they're they're in more or less a win and end situation is UAB out of Conference USA. We mentioned Brother Andy Kennedy, who we love. Uh, fun team to watch play. And really, they've been the better team than North Texas and Conference USA for most of the season, but have dovetailed a little bit lately. Uh, I would like to see UAB win that, but North Texas also get in. Because frankly, I think North Texas is going to be better than any of the teams in the first four. So if we can get to a two-bid conference USA, I would be quite pleased. <laughs> that would be cool. I'm okay with that. Um, Kim Palm, which mid-major, when you're looking at it and you're like, this mid-major on uh, Kim Palm has my eye right now, who who that the good folks are not paying attention to, they need to pay attention to? I think because every time you see them play, they're losing to Gonzaga by 15. <laughs> Uh, this team sort of flies under the radar, but San Francisco is really freaking good. Uh, they're number 21 on Ken right now. Uh, number 21, which is the highest ranking they've ever held. Hmm. Really good at limiting opponent threes. And so you're, you're going to look at them and you're going to think, okay, but where are the wins? I mean, the best wins are BYU twice. I get that. But Loyola Chicago entered last year's tournament where their best win was North Texas and Loyola Chicago made the Sweet 16 because they had a really good metrics. Uh, San Fran is staring down somewhere that's either a nine or a 10 seed. And I'm thinking, you know, like if I'm a two seed and so you know, like, say you're Purdue, say you're whoever, and your seven, 10 matchup is Murray state, San Francisco, you're wondering like who you pissed off at the wrong time of the year, because it's like, what did we do to deserve these two teams as our potential second round matchup? Um, I would not want to play them, but I would not want to play a team they played earlier this season either, Loyola Chicago. Back yet again. Uh, Loyola's sort of late season demise coincided with Marquise Kennedy having an injury. Mm. And he came back fully healthy for the MPC tournament, and they more or less ran over every opponent. Drake kept it close for a good while in the finale, but Loyola was just the better team. They are an interesting situation where... The bracketologists can't seem to figure out where they'll be between a 10 or a 12, but they will be somewhere between a 10 and 12. And they're, like I said, 24th in Ken Palm. You're drawing a team that's the quality of a six seed as you're 11, and you're the six seed yourself. Again, you're wondering, what did I do to deserve this? I would really like to see them play Ohio State, frankly, because uh, one, I think Loyola might be favored on a neutral court, and two, I think they would have a field day against Ohio State's defense. And then the third and final one, the Dayton Flyers, who have been white hot lately, but they've got to win the Atlantic 10 Conference Tournament to get in. If they do, they're going to be borderline. Do you think they will? Huh? Do you think they will? I think it's probably going to be Davidson who comes out on top, but I would Mm. like to see those two teams play each other. 
Uh, and that can only happen in a finale. And, but, uh, I mean, VCU is sort of on that bubble as well. But Dayton is playing better. Uh, unlike VCU, they're watchable. So mm. I have a favoritism for that. I mean, they're not ranked 244th offensively like VCU is. So, How high does Dayton need to fly to beat Davidson? Good little, uh, good little joke there. Um, I mean, it's not impossible. They beat Davidson in the regular season finale. They're hotter right now, but the the problem for them uh, is free throw shooting. They mm-hmm. are two hundred and ninety fourth in America in free throw shooting, and that's Yikes. why they, in they rank or in percentage. Percentage. They're okay. they're pretty. They're okay at getting to the line, but they have not been able to close out games late. They've had a couple of close losses where they've struggled to hit free throws late and flip teams, you know, steal one. So like, for example, lost to UMass Lowell by one point, yeah. lost to VCU by one, George Mason by one, LaSalle by two. None of those great losses. But if you flip a couple free throws in the right direction, they could have been 26 and five. You were all in on the George Mason George Mason defense today. I saw you defending Kim English, the, um, next t- the Tennessee coach of the future. I see what you're doing, Will. You're laying the groundwork. Without um, <laughs> without being rude, I will gently suggest that it's probably not a great idea to judge a coach after one season where the roster is only half of his players. Mm-hmm. That is what I would say um, to the young man that I quote tweeted. Look and at I you. I'm telling you. You're, I, folks don't believe me, but I'm telling you, when you listen to Will, Will can be harsh and mean, and it sounds amazing. He has a gift for this. Like, he can quote, tweet, and dunk on people, and it seems so nice. It seems so nice. I'm trying to do less of it. Lent's a great season of the year for realizing that you need to give up some things, and I think dunking on people is something everybody should give up, including myself. Yeah. Uh, just a nicer Twitter would be good in general. But That's I saw happening. that. I saw that, and I was like... Please. Did you ever wait? Have you ever given up anything for Lent? Yeah, I give up stuff every year. Do you? I, I gave up soft drinks for year one Lent, and I never went back on it. So, do you do Lacroix? Yes, love Lacroix. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this and you live like two minutes from a supermarket, like I do, and you're yeah. going to go get Lacroix tomorrow, like I will, get the key lime flavor. Key lime, fantastic. Passion no, what? what? Key lime's the worst flavor. Are you? Is that a joke? Me? Is it that a like joke? Sprite. I love key lime. Key lime, passion fruit, really oh, good. Oh no! Limoncello, really good. Oh the, no! You you don't like the naturally oh. essenced ones? The limoncello? Are you? What is happening, Will? What is it? What are this these takes? This is where we diverge. Oh no! Oh my goodness! The key lime is the worst flavor. It's not even close. I hate the key lime flavor. Oh no! Oh, that and the limoncello is just like it's so. Ugh. This I, is. I love it. I love. Uh, drinking flat soda. That's my thing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, the, no, the the worst one that I have experienced is, is it crayon raspberry crayon something. Yes, I had that, that one's one. pretty bad. So That's... I accidentally bought that one one time when I thought I was buying um berry because the berry oh, one's okay. pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I grabbed the wrong. And this is one of the downsides of being colorblind. Will is that you mm. never know what you're grabbing. So I'm le- legally colorblind. And like, I just, I sometimes I'll look at something and I'm like, Oh, that, and then that was not, that was not the right thing. Um, no, my favorite's still probably grapefruit. Grapefruit's King. Grapefruit's such a classic. It's so, so good. good. 
Like, that's all you really need. People overthink it. I'm like, all you really need is just get the grapefruit LaCroix and you're good. Like, just buy a bundle of those. Um, See, I, I like switching it up. I like having, you know, a grapefruit pack one week and then the yeah. next week we're on to lime or lemon or the... I, I do think the original lime is the best out of the refrigerator. That's good. Yeah, it's... Because that the, one's a delicious one when you go up for like a summer run and you get yeah. back in, you pot, you crack open. Uh, God, we are so old and washed. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I love that. But also, here's the thing. I used to be addicted. So I like took a break. Like I had to move them out because I was like, I am drinking these things like water. Like this is not OK. Like the amount mm-hmm. like I've got this right next to me. So I've yeah. got my water bottle that I drink a lot of throughout the day. But Man, I used to like when I had uh, a really stressful j- day job back in um, in Atlanta, I like had my own refrigerator downstairs in my mm-hmm. office and I just like put a bunch of LaCroix in there and I didn't even do the math on how many I was drinking. But like when I was stressed, I would just crack open another LaCroix. I was probably just at work going through like six to eight a day. And then at <laughs> night, do you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. it was so addicting, but I would just pop it open and I was like, oh, what is happening? And then just crack one open and then down it like it was water and not realize it. And I'm like, it's probably not good for me to have six to eight LaCroix a day. That probably yeah, isn't great. I'd, I'd have like the stomach bubbles all day the next day if yeah. I did that. So my sickos version of this is not <laughs> liquid related, but uh, my way of dealing with stress used to be chewing gum uh-huh. and I would like. There TMJ was, knocked that out for me. Uh, huh? TMJ knocked that out for me a long time ago. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Braces did that, yeah. So yeah, I I can still do it, but I just don't like doing it anymore. It doesn't mm. feel good. So I, I was I only chew gum like once every few months at best. But uh, anyway, I there was a period of time where you you remember like the five packs you could get at the gas station, or not not right. like five packs of gum, but the brand five. They used to have the really weird commercials. I don't. I don't remember that. Okay. Well, extra then. Extra I remember extra. Yes. Okay. So extra. either way, I would go through like a full 15 piece pack of gum a day at one point. Sugar or like, sugar free? Sugar free. Never Ooh, sugar. Okay. Yeah. But it, it felt horrible the next day because like, why is my jaw so sore? And like, oh yeah, I chewed 15 pieces of gum yesterday. So I've, I've sworn that off my life. You know who I always think of when yeah. I think of that period uh, I don't remember which Auburn, Alabama football game it was, but it was years ago. They ran a little story on Gus Valzon, like chain chewing double bubble on the sideline. And they said like he went through 30 pieces a game. And I was like, that has to feel horrible in the locker room after. He has to crack his jaw. Like there's no way your jaw is meant to and go through that many pieces of gum. But I liked how realistic it was because even Gus knows that those pieces don't last more than five minutes. God. Pete Carroll is one of those guys too. He's been mm. chewing gum forever and he's the oldest coach in the NFL, but that's his thing. His, his calling card is chewing gum, very angrily chewing gum. Um, yeah. I don't so know. You, so we need mm-hmm. to bring traditions from other sports like that into yeah. basketball. Like it'd be great if we had coaches just like spewing sunflower seeds everywhere <laughs> on the sideline. Like it, like you, so the, in the Tennessee game last Saturday, a mm-hmm. cheerleader left one of her boards on the floor and they had to like stop play to let her get it off. Right. Did that happen? Did they show that on TV? I don't think I saw that on TV. That, that happened. That was like a media timeout. They had to like stop play and the cheerleader rushed out to get uh, one of the boards that says noise. Yeah. And I did so, not see that in the game. Maybe, I don't think that happened on TV. That. 
it's like with the streakers they don't show anything that's not the uh the planned action mm-hmm. but uh they they could have to stop games for coaches just spewing sunflower seed remnants on the court that could be the thing or like gut like a coach dropping gum everywhere i th- i think if you like added if you boosted the goofiness factor of mm-hmm. basketball coaches a little more it'd make them more human uh Maybe I would like Tom Izzo more. I don't know. Uh, it could all anything's possible. Greg Gard could be off my hit list for a while. You never know. <laughs> it starts you in some sunflower seeds, Greg. He actually seems like someone who would chew sunflower seeds, though. Yes, Juwan could see Juwan Howard could take up Chain Chewin to calm down. That <laughs> anything is possible. My uh, best friend growing up was a big sunflower seed guy, and it just never. It never made sense to me. Like I have a lot of family that um, just because they're ex-military, they chew tobacco and have chewed Mm. tobacco for a long time and the spit cup and stuff like that. Like I just, I can't get over the spit cup. There's nothing nastier than a spit cup. (laughs) Like I just, so if you're spitting sunflower seeds, tobacco, whatever, I just, so it, I think when I was, um, I mean, years ago, this is probably like 15 years ago. One of my cousins uh, found one of his diet Pepsis and it was not that Pepsi and the, spit cup and he like threw it up all over uh my grandparents uh uh, carpet yeah this is great like southern history coming to light (laughs) like via a podcast yeah i I don't think you have the same lived experience if you grew up in like arizona or something like that's probably true because like the amount of like guys that went to my high school that would carry around dr pepper bottles in their back pocket and you're always like, that's not Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Uh, but it was like, I, I, <laughs> it's such a fun little artifact of growing up in the South. It's like the the Dr. Pepper or just brown water bottle that is not uh, brown sugar water. It is dip spit. Yeah. Like I remember I the baseball players who had, they would tear off the, um, the Aquafina logo and just use that as spit cup and it was clear and i'm like when you want something that's not clear like you want something to hide the fact that your nasty water bottle is just nasty <laughs> like i don't understand but it was just like one of those things they would carry it around or it'd be in their back pocket i have visual memories of this that, mm-hmm. i guess that is a unique southern high school experience is uh to you always knew who were the dippers and yes. uh in your high school I, I think i'm willing to say there are some other like Midwest, some West, maybe Northeast states out there that probably have like, I feel like Pennsylvania has a somewhat similar vibe to us. I think they could have the the dip spit ratio uh, up to our level. Yeah. But that like, uh, like Minnesota, not seeing it. No. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I saw a lot of people with, I could probably even do the whole, the evergreen. Is it, I think it was mint. Is it, I think it's evergreen. Wintergreen. Wintergreen. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Wintergreen long the, cut was the one of choice. Yes. Yeah. And then they do this. I, this sound is like stuck in my head where they're just like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I never dipped, but I could do the whole thing. Yeah. Well. It was always, I can't do maybe it. Maybe that's like a rite of passage growing up in your little Southern town. I don't know. Like we just have PTSD. We just like, we, we hear that sound and we're like, what? We're back in the South, no matter where we're at, we just know. <laughs> yeah. That's maybe that's our test is like, if someone says I grew up in the South, did you though? Here, here yeah. wh- when you hear this sound, what do you think yeah. of what's in this bottle? <laughs> yeah. Are you willing to drink the contents? <laughs> we won't tell you what it is. It just might not be pleasant. Um, <laughs> speaking of might not be pleasant. Kennedy Chan at the free throw line. Um, <laughs> did you, just, so I did a, I did a show with her friend, John Reed, 
over mm-hmm. the weekend. Did you know that Kennedy Chandler is shooting 55% from the free throw line in SEC play? That sounds right. I would have guessed worse, actually. I would have uh, guessed do, do you want to know something. which player in the Tennessee roster is out shooting him from the free throw line right now? Ooh, Plavsic. Yes, <laughs> 57. He's the worst good shooter free throw. Like, his shooting stroke was amazing on Saturday. Like, his mm-hmm. threes are on point. Yeah, like, he was perfect from three, right? It makes no sense for a player to have that smooth of a shooting stroke and to also be this bad at the line. Like I, it's I don't mental. understand it. Fully yeah. mental. Because so the the thing that came out after <coughs> the uh, Georgia law, or Georgia win mm-hmm. was so they had that video of Tom Crean talking to Kennedy after the game, right? Mm. And uh, like Tennessee fans did the usual thing of like, "Oh, why is he talking to Tom Crean or whatever?" And like, well. There's nothing to it. Tom Crean's getting fired anyway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it came out that Tom Crean was like, hey, you're leaning left on your free throws. Mm-hmm. And so I've noticed, uh, like, and, you know, subjectively, I noticed, like, Kennedy leans back when he shoots. And maybe this is just, like, I, I think it has to be mental of overthinking it because he overcorrected for his first two against Arkansas. One barely touched the rim and one was an air ball off to the right. And so you wonder, like, uh, maybe this is just like a practice, practice, practice thing, because obviously the three point stroke looks fine. His general jumper looks fine. So it's some sort of like bug, you know, like it's like a programming bug and you can't figure out where the code has gone wrong necessarily. And I, I we just wonder, need it to change. We yeah. need it to change quick. Maybe, but the thing, the cool thing is, I do appreciate with Chandler that this has not deterred him from driving to the rim. It seems yeah. like he does. The, he doesn't really care. He'll go get fouled or whatever. But it's got to get fixed because I do worry about: Is Kennedy Chandler going to be allowed on the floor in the final seconds of a game? Tennessee's up by three in in the tournament. We're gonna ha- like. Can you imagine a hack a Kennedy situation with a guard like who? thinks he could be a lottery pick like that's insane but that's a reality is it could happen it could and i man if you had to if i had to make a call right now i would say i would pull him like based on where we're at right now because zakai is so clutch like that's the thing is like zakai and viscovi are going to hit those shots but I mean, well, what we saw also is they're terrifying in the press and when things break down because that was there was a lot of meltdown moments on uh, on Saturday. That, but also, that game doesn't turn into that if Kennedy hits those free throws. Like, Kennedy, yeah. if he just hits a couple more of those, it doesn't get to that point. But, yeah, as you were saying. I think there's an obvious five, actually, for these late-game scenarios until Kennedy sort of gets through the mental bug. Uh, Vescovy, Ziegler, Josiah, Fulkerson, and Powell, I think, would okay. be my five for free throw shooting. Because, like... Uh, it sort of goes under the radar because he uh, is the wacky waving tube man. But Fulkerson is like a career 77% free throw shooter at this point. Like when the ball is in his hands at the line, I don't really sweat much. I mean, he does miss from time to time, but so does everybody else. 77% for a big man's pretty good. Mm. Then everybody else is 80% or higher. Uh, so at that point, it's just like, well, you know, Fulkerson's the odd man out. 77% is pretty good for odd man out. So uh, I think that would be my grouping. Powell, frankly, would be the one I would worry about most because he seems so uh, apprehensive to shoot in the first place that when he actually has the ball in his hands and he's forced to shoot, what is he going to do? So I don't know. But I I think that is sort of the 
temporary solution. And it's a shame because we know Chandler is a terrific ball handler. And so breaking the press, it's going to be a lot easier with him out there. But maybe it's just a thing where Kennedy has to inbound the ball. And then everything else, like if the ball ends up back in his hands, it just is what it is. But I don't think you can have him out there running around. Like Ziegler would be the first pick, and then maybe it's Vescovy. Do you think he has, like Barnes would actually do it, though? Do you think he'd do it? Yeah, I mean, he's... I think he would, so, too. I think he would just... I mean, the Texas game, Chandler was on the bench the final five True. minutes. So it, it's it's possible. And I think that is the nice thing about Barnes. So we had our thing at the top of this show about all the SEC coaches that could be fired. I mean, we, the first five games of the tournament all featured at least one that could be canned. And, you know... Everybody who is in the top four of this SEC tournament uh, has had a down year in the not so recent or not so distant past. I mean, like, you know, Kentucky missed the tournament last year. Arkansas missed the, would have missed the tournament in 2019, 2020 had it happened. Auburn, you know, missed it for several years before Bruce got it rolling. The stability of Barnes is really nice to have because it's like even in a year where you're not that great, you're still pulling off some decent wins. But the real stability effect to me is that he's unafraid to shift late game lineups because it feels like Tennessee's run out about 12 different late game combos now. And it's just like whatever's hot at the moment, they're going to roll with. And I like that because it shows to me like you're adaptable. You're not trying to do everything no matter who the opponent is. Tennessee will run out one closing lineup against one opponent. And then if that doesn't work, they'll try a different one against a different opponent. So I, I think that gives me like a bit of faith that Barnes has sort of, you know, I wouldn't say stopped being stubborn uh, because I think in, in his heart, he truly is just a stubborn man, which is fine. Stubbornness will get you places. But uh, I think that this is the most adaptable I've seen him at Tennessee because I do not feel. So think back to 2018, 19. I don't feel like we saw the same level of willingness to change out stuff with late game lineups. It was, five of any six it was like five of six guys for basically the final three months of that season hmm. so, what do you think ultimately happens do you think we win the tournament uh i do not think tennessee is going to win the conference tournament i think kentucky probably will but mm. um i think the winner of tennessee kentucky as a cop-out will win the sec tournament i do not really trust anybody on the top side um Auburn is curious to me because Auburn, I mean, this could be very much a cold take by the time this comes out. Auburn could lose to AM, who's been really good lately. Um, mm. I think Arkansas could lose to LSU, who continues to sort of fly under the radar as this team with a great defense and really good metrics. By the way, utterly insane to me that LSU did not have an all-defense member, despite being top five in the nation defensively. Like, where is Tari Eason? That seems so obvious to me. And Josiah Jordan James should be on that team too. But um, I, I think it back to the point, I do think it's going to come down to the Tennessee-Kentucky winner. And maybe, you know, if you lose Kentucky, it really isn't all that bad. As long as Tennessee wins tomorrow, Friday, they will not be worse than a three seed. So mm. I, I think, you know, a win tomorrow locks you in. You're sort of playing a little bit with house money because Kentucky needs to win the SEC tournament to be a one. So you're, I mean, you kind of come into that game a little bit lighter and less on edge than Kentucky would be. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Tennessee start out with a lead in that game, but whether they can sustain it would be the question. 
Okay. I like it. Will, what, uh, what stat of the week do you got for us tonight? All right. So this is just game since February 1st. One of the greatest tools in the internet is Bart Torvik's site. Shout out to lawyer. You Bart love Torvik. Torvik. I yeah. love him. Chicago area lawyer, Bart Torvik. I don't really know what law he does, but if you ever need him, <laughs> go call him. Uh, shout out to, uh, a lawyer creating this amazing site, which allows you to search by from a certain date to the end of the season, how teams have performed. This all leads me to this. So measuring performance since February 1st, the best team in America has been Gonzaga. I feel like that's obvious, right? Can you guess who number two is on this list? No, it is the Iowa Hawkeyes. Okay. They are really hot right now. They they posted about 500 points today on poor Northwestern, who just got Fran absolutely. Fran, that's his thing, man. All offense, no breaks. They, they got bombed today, poor Northwestern. But, I mean, looking at it, so month of February onward, Iowa is 9-2. and two. Their two losses are at home to a Michigan team that's probably going to be in the NCAA tournament, lost by five. And by two on the road to Illinois, who's going to be a three or four seed. That's pretty good. I mean, they beat Ohio State easily on the road. They beat Michigan easily on the road. Uh, if they beat Rutgers tomorrow, uh, a funny thing is going to hold where a team that's currently slated to be a six seed is actually the highest rated team by Ken Palm in the Big Ten. They're higher rated than Purdue now. Mm. Um, but I, the team that gets Iowa as their five or six seed is going to be pissed because this is a team that's a lot better than the record shows. I do not want to try and stop them offensively. If Fran McCaffrey ever figures out that Keegan Murray's brother, Chris should be playing 30 minutes a game. They <laughs> genuinely could make the final four. So MGO blog, their podcast, the Brian cook was like, uh, Chris Murray has to play the fewest minutes of anybody who has this level of usage rate and this offensive rating. And I looked it up. And he was like, well, you're right. Chris Murray plays like 18 minutes a game despite having one of the highest efficiency rates and one of the highest usage rates in the Big Ten. So if they ever figure that out, that is a scary team because Keegan Murray is beyond legit. And the rest of that team seems to be rounding into shape at the right time. So, But then again, it's Fran, it's March, it's Iowa. Maybe keep your expectations low. But I saw that and I thought that was really interesting. Is John Rothstein leaning into the bit now? Is that like what's happening here? Yeah, is that... I, I don't like it. He, I liked it more when he was not self-aware. That, there's, yeah, there's a there's a level of being too self-aware mm-hmm. of who you are and what it is you do that sort of crosses the line. And I like John Rothstein because his passion is genuinely unmatched for college basketball. But uh, he's got to lean back out. He's got to. I don't know. <laughs> There's got to be a path out. I know you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, but there has to be mm-hmm. a way. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know how you do that. Um, it's I tough. don't know how you do that. Stats by Will. Go to statsbywill.com if you have not already done so. And go subscribe to uh, his work there. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Stats by Will. You're not going to leave it. Still Stats by Will. Stats by Will everywhere. That's by Will Warren um, as the Tennessee Volunteers look to win this tournament tomorrow. Do we know? Is it six o'clock tomorrow? We play 6 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I had pre written previews for both South Carolina and Mississippi State. So I'm excited to figure out which one I get to finish. Oh, I can tell you. Do you want the spoiler? <laughs> is it Mississippi State? Yeah, Mississippi State. One. Okay. Easy enough. 
Mm-hmm. Well, perfect. That one's done. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. So that's why, Will, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you next week. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas podcast where I am joined by a fellow Blue Wireian, Blue Wireite. I don't know what we're going to call. Wireite sounds good. I like that. You like Blue Wireite? Yeah. Well, it's already in the name. I feel like you guys had an inside track into becoming uh, members of the Blue Wire Network, right? Like my, I have orange, like I'm a Tennessee Vol. I got like a lot of orange in my life, but uh, you got London is calling. You got the blue all behind you. It was just, it was meant to be. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Nick Verlaney, I'm the, one of the hosts of the London is Blue podcast. Mm-hmm. We're a Chelsea podcast. And so, yeah, if you're if you're seeing my decor, the fact that there's a tremendous amount of blue will come to, to no, no one's surprise, really. I mean, it's it's part of my life. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, I like the setup. It's very cool. Um, but I do have a question because you have the Ted Lasso uh, poster up. Of course. Okay. I've never watched it. Is it worth watching? I don't know. I just never... I ne- oh, that's a face. That Wait you're, a you're minute. Not- You've never watched it? No, it's just never. So I have a thing, and this is something I had to get over with Shit's Creek recently. And Shit's Creek's really, really another show. phenomenal show, by the way. Phenomenal show. However, I didn't dive in immediately because I like if a bunch of people tell me to watch something, and a bunch of people are just like, "You have to watch this. This is so funny. This is just so great." I'm naturally like apprehensive about that where I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to do this anymore. I think you ruined it for me by pushing it on me this long. And the fact that you are all so unanimous in this perspective, like I, I can't in good faith do this. Like I, I need to, I need to figure it out on my own or just like read review and see, like, I just need to see one person or one reviewer that I like. Cause I have like my favorite movie critics and I'll read their stuff to see if I'm going to bite the bullet on some different films. But like, I don't know. Shit's Creek was like that. And then I was like, what was I waiting on? Shit's Creek. What a great show. Shit's Creek is a delight. Like I love spending time in that world. Um, but Ted Lasso, I've not done yet. Well, I mean, you're, you're a soccer fan, obviously mm-hmm. like th- So uh, the, the show outside of me living in Kansas city, we are, we are uh, in the same stream. Like you mm-hmm. are, uh, you're a soccer fan. So this show is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like soccer to enjoy it. So, but I think because you do, you're going to pick up on some stuff that maybe the average person wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And the the way that I know that they did a good job with this show are the subtle moments, the little okay. things. Uh how uh how they got like English fan culture down. Uh, I will say if, if when you watch season one, it's not a spoiler of, of anything. Mm-hmm. If you've been to an English pub before, they show a bunch of scenes in an English pub and they are so dead on mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, they did their research on this. They're not messing about uh, uh, messing around at all. Like, they have a really good sense of the culture and that translates to just authenticity of the show. So better than increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret, though, and the beer pub culture there. Have you watched that? I have not. No, it's the fun. So one of the 19 million reasons uh, that I love my girlfriend is that like she is the only other person sponsored by your girlfriend. Right. Like, I just want to make sure people know. Um, But it's 
like I there are certain things. Have you ever encountered this? I don't know if you have where it's like there's something that you're really into and it just seems like no one else in your life has ever been into it. And you're just like, I just sit on this thing that I like and I just would love to connect with someone about this one thing that for whatever reason, no one watches. That was increasingly poor decisions at the top Margaret, which I binged years ago and it was on IFC. And it was it was so funny. It's David Cross, Will Arnett. It's super, super funny. It's a dark comedy but it's set in uh, London and it's just, it it's phenomenal. The The woman from Catastrophe is in there. Um, she's one of the main women, uh, main characters, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a great show, but that's how I, like it was, it, I remember the, the pub scenes and things like that, which is very funny, but that's what I was thinking of when I think of English pubs. But anyway, the long story short, she watched it and I was like, you're, you're messing with me. There's no way you actually watch the show. There's no one else. And then she was like, no, it's one of my, and she did the hello, hello, hello. And I was like, oh, good. Well, I'm locked in. I'm I'm done. Like you, 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 you got me. There you go. Yeah. I'm, I'm dead serious. When you watch Ted Lasso and I know you will. Mm. Um, So this is not a question of if, but when, Mm you are going to come back to me. You'll send me a nice little text and go, wow, that Mm -hmm. is absolutely some of the best writing I've ever seen on a TV show. Tie bar. Like we got this Sopranos. We got the wire. We got breaking bad six feet under. Got a lot of shows, man. I don't know. That's high. It's high praise. It is. And it's not me that you have to believe like the screen actors guild will tell you that too. (laughs) So uh, it's, It's uh yeah, I mean it's Jason Sudeikis at his absolute peak. He is absolutely unbelievable. Uh not only as an actor, but as a show creator. Though most of the uh coaching staff when you get into it are writers on the show. Hmm. And so there is just this sense of like such a tight knit group that I think people like. You're like the Shits Creek is a is a uh the, the family is like a really great example of that where like they are really close off mm-hmm. that right like those people like properly love each other ted lasso very much the same way huh interesting um is it weird though because like i'm from atlanta and atlanta united such a big thing now and mm-hmm. um mls is it, it's it's improving it's getting it's getting sure. better yeah it's getting better it's never gonna be the premier league it's never gonna no. be the champions league it's not gonna be the be. thing it does not have to be it's a good point do you like do you ever see a scenario where sporting kc like gets that same level for you as Chelsea FC or no? It's just different. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like Chelsea is the love of my life as difficult as circumstances (laughs) are right now. Like I love it. I love Chelsea and I've only gone and done about 750 episodes of content on them. Plus traveled there nine times and have you been there nine times? Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. So like that, that's my love, but mm-hmm. I also love what sporting does in the city of Kansas city. I mm-hmm. mean, they are, they really do take a more local approach. They're not trying to be Atlanta United. They're not trying yeah. to be uh New York city FC. They're not trying to be Seattle Sounders. They're trying to be the best club for our city. Hmm. And look, sometimes that approach is really frustrating. Like we don't make all the big name signings that a lot of other clubs do. Uh, but it feels like it's part of the community. It feels like when you go to a game, you have just as good a chance of chugging a beer with Johnny Russell after the game than you would chugging a beer with your buddy. Hmm. Um, you know, and so I appreciate that. And like as a as a lover of Kansas City, and I am, it's a really 
great and underrated town. Uh, it fills that hole for me too. You know, huh. or, like if I want to go, if I, if I watch Chelsea in the morning on TV and I want to go to sporting in the afternoon, that's a great day. <laughs> what is your weekend? Uh, what's your weekend like strategy and like your, your game watching setup? What do you, what do you do? <laughs> it's in more and more and more strategic all the time. You have to plan mm-hmm. this stuff out now, but uh yeah i mean we do so much content we're doing like five podcasts a week right now um it's absolutely crazy (laughs) (laughs) like i don't even know how to describe it um but yeah i mean typically chelsea will play on a saturday morning let's just say so you know maybe go to the pub with my kansas city crew maybe stay home and watch it and do a little bit of note-taking uh then you know sporting's playing figure out how to fit that into the afternoon schedule I'm doing golf lessons right now, so I got to get that in too. And like, you're teaching or you're learning? Learning. God, okay. I need help. I, my swing is so bad, so I'm I'm doing that. And then I, on Sunday, it's the tricky part because we typically record a couple of podcasts on Sunday to get out from the weekend's matches. So Chelsea men and women are a big part. Like I also host our women's show, um, and so making sure that I can fit all of those in in a weekend and record. Mm-hmm is a challenge. So Sunday is usually kind of like a pod work day for me. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I will say, I think we're on the same, like London is called, like, I'm not going to go out here, go out here and say that like, we're the hardest working podcasters in the network, the blue Hour pod network, but I'm also not saying that with our content machines here. Like people are saying Nick, people are others. Saying, people others. say we're that we're tremendous. Uh, mm-hmm. London is blue. The chase Thomas podcast. We're, you know, little column A, little column B. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And the cool thing is Chelsea's given you no content, really, of late. There's no real things going on with Chelsea. Very so boring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A very boring time to be a Chelsea <laughs> FC fan. Um, but in all seriousness, what uh, what is going on with Chelsea FC at the moment? What uh, You had the match today. It's a broad overview. But how are you feeling about the state of the team, the se- ownership selling the team. What's ne- Woody Johnson, your new overlord, maybe? I, yeah. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> I just hurt you with that last part. I'm sorry, Nick. Yeah, it really, it really <laughs> threw me off my my game. Okay, so today, obviously, we're we're recording this Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, right? So, holy shit. Um, <laughs> Can I swear on the show? Is that yeah, fine? sure. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah, holy shit. Today is today is a big day. I mean, obviously, the last two weeks have been full of holy shit moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we start off every show just saying, look, we love Chelsea, but mm-hmm. we're hurting for the people of Ukraine right now. Yeah. Right? So, like, let's contextualize this by saying this is a first world fucking problem that we're mm-hmm. dealing with. Um, if you watch the news at all yesterday, it was just heartbreaking. So, you know, again, that's out of the way that's contextualized. Like this is a nothing burger compared to that, but for the club that I love and that I cover up to five, six times a week right now, it's a pretty monumental day today. The fact that he was sanctioned is, um, huge uh it i don't think it changes a whole lot about his status as a billionaire 
uh, or or anything like that. I mean, he was going to donate the proceeds from any sale anyway, but the UK government just came in and basically ensured that that was going to be the case by taking over what it appears to be, you know, taking over the um, the actual sale of the club instead of that going through an independent broker. Um, it's very challenging to know how I feel. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think a huge part of me feels like this is a, um, a massive turning point for the club that uh, we may never be the same again. Um, and almost certainly no one's going to put as much money as Roman did into the club over the last 20 years. I mean, he put $1.5 billion of his own money into the club and then forgave that debt, which is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a bunch of people come to me and say, well, Hey, how did, he get that $1.5 billion to spend on the club. And like all those points are fair. A lot of them have been argued in a court of law. So I'm not going to uh, liable or slander anybody here because I, I think there's been legal precedent sent on what he's done or hasn't done. Uh, but yeah, for the club, it's the sanctions are difficult to take in some ways. I understand the optics of it. Obviously we started off by talking about Ukraine, right? I think what is problematic about them is that the people who are going to be hurt by this are those who work at the club, like everyday employees who can't go in and work at the club shop right now, or can't do catering for the club or can't park players, cars or whatever. Uh, bus drivers, what you know, take anything into account there, and the fans, right? Who I think right now are being painted in in broad strokes as supporters of Putin, which is hard. That's fucking hard to take. Okay, like I mean, there's you know, we we have donated our own pod revenue to you know, you know causes that are supporting Ukraine right now, um, and I think that's just sucks and that's kind of the reality of a fast twitch culture they live in so um i i wish that the sanctions would have been more targeted than they ended up being uh if they were going to do them at all and there was a huge body of doubt whether they could even do them so i'm very curious as to how they came through and actually got to that conclusion uh, but yeah, it's a hard day, man. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a, it's a very challenging moment. And I just hope that now the sale can go through as fast as possible. And we figure out what the next phase of this chapter or next chapter of the story looks like, you know, who do you, who have you heard? Like, who do you think is going to be the next center? Do you think it's still too early to say <sighs> still too early? I mean, the, the original timeline for the sale was that on, you know, five days from now on the 15th, all bids were due. Mm hmm. Does that get accelerated now? Or, I, you know, I'm not privy to that information, so I'm not going to speculate. But uh, we are really close with uh, with Matt Law, who's a predominant uh, English journalist and who's been covering Chelsea for a long time and has a lot of really great information on the club. And today, in the midst of all this chaos that was happening, because people still don't really know what it means or anything like that. It's, it's all very fresh. He said um, something to the effect of like the three American ownership bids 
um, one by the Todd Bully group, who is a part of the LA Dodgers setup. One from Woody Johnson, who's the owner of the the Jets, and then the third um, is from. Where am I missing a third from? Oh, the Ricketts family. Uh, oh, the Cubs. Oh, awful. I think you want to go with the first one. I think you want the first one. That that's kind of the school of thought among a lot of Chelsea mm-hmm. fans right now. Um, no, no doubt about that. Uh, but those are the three because you know I, there are a bunch of other petrol state nation state ownership groups that want to buy Chelsea. But if you're going to set the pre- here's the Premier League's problem now or the UK government's problem. If you're going to set the precedent that fit and proper testing, which is what they supposedly do every time a new owner takes over a club in England, that there can be no political problems, right? Geopolitical problems with that group. If you take the club away from Roman and hand it over to someone, let's just say in Saudi Arabia, then that's a huge contradiction. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. And then it's it's like, okay, so only Americans can bid on this or only the Swedish uh, can, you know, and then you're looking for people in, you know, really non problematic situations uh, that come up and it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of a mess, man. I don't, I don't really know, man. So what does that mean for, uh, just who's running the day-to-day operations? What does that mean? Are do you think they're all part of this long term, and that maybe there's some there's an understanding of like this is how this has been working. Let's keep like we're, even though ownership's changing, we're keeping everything else. Manager, our stars, we're keeping uh, uh, front office ops. Like these are all remaining in place for the foreseeable future. Or do you think that there could be an upheaval there as well? It's a great question. Uh, we uh, Dan, who is one of the main hosts of our podcast, and and Joe Tweeds, who is uh, you know like our content specialist, like he is a big brain thinker, did a, a special about this last weekend uh, when the news kind of broke on all this stuff, and they they were talking about kind of the structure of the club. You know, uh, most people who know Chelsea knows that Marina Gra- Marina Granovskaya runs the day-to-day operations of the club. She's number two in command. She makes decisions and, and is oftentimes seen as like kind of the, you know, Roman's right arm, you know, in a lot of ways. Right. Um, so during this period, I, I don't know for sure, but it would, it would stand a reason that she is doing a lot of the day-to-day operations still that Petr Cech mm-hmm. is still, you know, in a advisory role to the club and that, um, Neil Bath, who runs our academy, and Eugene Tenenbaum, who works on corporate consulting, and um, I'm thinking of the hundred other people that are involved with the club. Um, like all these people are still in some capacity. Bruce Buck is still there. Like you know, it, while the sale is happening, I think a lot of the mainstays are still um, are helping. I think the the tricky part is the transition whenever that happens, right? Joe and um, and Dan were talking about this, and I think they made a really good point that any new owner, assuming that there wasn't a legal liability factor with any of the current staff or their contracts or any of that stuff, and I frankly have no earthly idea how that will all work because I am not a lawyer uh, at all. <laughs> but any new owner should look at Marina and say, 
is there any way we can keep you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because she is that good at what she does. Same with Petr Cech and, and a bunch of other people like Neil Bath at the club. And, you know, there are a bunch of great, great, great employees who are working there who are going through, I'm sure, hell right now trying to figure out how this is all going to work. Now, you know, you don't keep everybody. That never happens in the transition, right? A new owner can always bring in who they want as their number two or number three or whatever. But right. Yeah, I, I think my hope would be that there's some consistency, you know, yeah. a little bit. But would there, is there a, a, I guess it's just so hard to know how she would feel about it, but like where it would just see, she would see it as like a, it would almost be like disloyal to stay on after he sells. If he's, she's that close where it's like, I just don't think that I can do that. I can just stay with the team after he's gone. If she is his right hand man, right hand woman rather. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I really don't know. I mean, that's up ultimately up to her, right? Like, yeah, how she feels. It would just be weird. It. it would be weird. Um, and I guess if you're the new owner, you're like, well, I just, I don't know. That's that's an interesting spot to be in. Um, in terms of on the field, though, so Kristen Pulisic, he's dealing with some injury stuff. What's the latest on him? I think he just has a bug today. Um, so is that just all it is? Yeah, I think I and think that's what Tuchel said in the pregame that he was just not feeling great. I don't think. it's... Mm-hmm. COVID necessarily or anything like that, but yeah, he just got a little sick. It's not a muscular issue. He's been playing great okay. lately, so I really hope he's back for Sunday. That'd be a huge boost. I think we all got that. I felt that a little bit. Maybe Christian Pulisic passed it a uh, passed it along the, uh, this way in Knoxville. It's that rare kind of illness that transmits from Chelsea to uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm. Uh, there you go. So what uh, what happened in the Norwich City match today? So you went three one. Yeah. It's nice. I know we've a lot of off the field stuff, off the pitch stuff, but that was at least nice to see, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think the you know we're about to record our podcast here in a couple hours, and we're trying to figure out how this all looks and feels and stuff like that. But well, this um, is it. I'm I'm prepping you. Like you're going to be so prep. locked in, Nick. You are going to be so ready. They're going to be like, what What happened to you tonight? I've never seen you fire on all cylinders like this. And you're like, well, I was talking to this Liverpool fan, Liverpool fan, right before we got started. He fired me up. Where that red came from. And I'm I'm a new man. I'm a changed man. Yeah, or something, <laughs> something to that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was a. I think first and foremost, I'm really proud of the team for focusing mm-hmm. in the midst of absolute chaos everywhere else. I think that took a huge amount of resolve to pull off. Norwich aren't very good. Is mm-hmm. the answer to that question? I mean, they had a really decent second half and probably deserved a little bit more than they ended up getting in the second half, but um, Chelsea were on fire the first half. They absolutely came out of the gates, running rampant. Mason Mount, unbelievable. Kai Havertz, unbelievable. Um, I know Trev Chalaba had a, uh, a goal in the beginning and then gave one back with the penalty, but I think he's just growing into a tremendous player. Mateo Kovacic was unbelievable. So, yeah, I mean, this team's really rounding into form, and they're doing it without Lukaku uh, right now, and it just looks more fluid. That's it, you know, and and it's it's hard to put into words what that means for his future right now. When no one knows, you know, or any players' futures right now. But you know, the the dynamic between Kai, Christian, and Mason um, right now up front is really working for us, and the team is picking up momentum. You know, we need to stay comfortably in third. Um, you know, now through the end of the season. I think the team can make a pretty deep run in the Champions League again, uh, despite all the shenanigans that are happening. And, 
you know, the FA Cup is is you know we're two spots or two rounds away from reaching the semifinal, so we're back in there again. This will be our fourth straight final. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if, for how wild the season's been, you know, obviously losing the the cup to you guys a couple weeks ago was really difficult uh, because it was such an evenly matched game, and you know, every time, anytime you you go to eleven penalty takers, it's just a complete flip of the coin as to who's going right. to win that game. So I didn't even really feel that bad about it. Cause I thought we actually played better, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, two trophies down already this season could have more. Let's see how it goes. Is there anything specific that you've watched the last couple of weeks that you've jotted down your notes that you're like, this is, this is fresher to me, whether it's a player, whether it's a scheme, whether it's, uh, just, I mean, just what you've written down. Like, is there anything that stood out to you the last few weeks? That's really annoyed you about this team. Um, it's always been the finishing mm-hmm. always. I mean, the, the, for the amount of wonderful talent that we have up front, the finishing has sometimes been the thing that's let us down. And I think defensively we're incredibly solid. Uh, I think we have the best goalkeeper in the world right now. Uh, obviously our wingbacks are hurt, which is a huge problem for this team and the way that they like to play. Um, you know, having even, I don't know if you saw, but like Rick James came back for the Burnley game over the weekend, absolutely mm-hmm. ran the game from the right wing. He's unbelievable. Uh, we're missing show well, so that's tough. Our midfield is really solid. You know, Conte, Kovacic, Jorginho, and any combination that you want to put out there. It's the front players that have underperformed all year. It's, you know, Lukaku is, I think, on 10 goals and a couple of this. Kai Havertz is scored in five out of the last six finally. So maybe there's a little bit of heat coming up, but. Need Pulisic, need Mount, need Ziyech, need Kalmuts and Adoy to all start contributing uh, more and, and make that attack a little bit more fluid. Because I am of the opinion that if Chelsea scored two goals in a game, that's that's about all she wrote. Because defensively, we just don't give away that much. Interesting. Um, what have you circled over the next couple weeks, the game that you're most excited about? Where, which match are you most excited about over the next couple weeks? Um, yeah, I mean, the wheel match right before the international break is huge. Like Chelsea need to progress in the Champions League, Mm. given our current revenue situation that's happening. Uh, that's a huge, huge, huge game. So we're up to nothing in that tie. Uh, there, there are no away goal rules or anything like that this year in the Champions League. So we just need to go win pretty comfortably again. Uh, and that's the one, that's the one that we really need to nail. Uh, we have Newcastle on Sunday. Uh, I, we dog walked them in the first game. So I've, uh, you know, they're playing a lot better. Don't get me wrong. It'll be more of a challenge, but I think we're just more talented than they are. And, uh, and then it's the international break and that's a huge one for us soccer. Um, mm-hmm. And so Christian Pulisic playing well, heading into that huge, huge three games at the end of March uh, is, is massive. So, you know, I think uh, if, if you're not a U.S. men's national team fan, Please pay attention to these last three games. It could send us to the World Cup or not. Um, so that's – and then this is it. This is the end of qualifying. So we play Mexico away at Azteca, which we never win at. Uh, we play, I uh, believe, Panama home and then Costa Rica away. So very, very tough final stretch for the U.S. team. And if there's one thing we know for sure is that the United States men's national team will not let us down when we need them the most. Never. Not one time. Not one time. Not famously, never. Mm-hmm. 
people forget people forget um last thing we'll wrap up here nick uh what do you have to say for yourself and your team for ruining the trajectory of fernando torres years ago my favorite player growing up huh that's a really interesting take um i think we gave fernando torres a chance to win trophies Mm -hmm. um which was really good for his career um Mm -hmm. i think that uh by the end of his tenure that he was uh, loved and respected at Chelsea. Mm. And I think, uh, I think that his time at Liverpool, you know, he'll look back and go, boy, just wasn't that great, you know? And uh, you know, the trophies really, really helped, um, you know, at the end of the day. So yeah, interesting take. (laughs) I miss Torres. He's the reason I originally got into uh, soccer. It, it's it. I feel it's crazy that that man is thirty-seven. Like Fernando Torres being thirty-seven, he, he looks like a baby. Mind. His face is like a baby. Yeah, face. he does. But like he's old. Like he's he's old for a soccer player now. Like he's well, just he's, well, he's a manager like coach. now. Yeah, yeah, he's a coach. But he he got fucking jacked. Did you? Yeah. See? Like he's a, like a weightlifter now. Like a power. I was like. Where did, when did you become the Hulk? Like what? <laughs> what it's happened? all upper body. I think I looked at it. He's doing a bunch of upper body. I don't think it's proportional based on the huge. last thing. Yeah, huge. big dude. Noted. Uh, noted importance. Getting big up top, looking like a cyborg. Uh, getting the Mark Wahlberg uh, that's right. routine where you want to just be. That's that's me. That's basically that's the same thing. Nah. Yeah, that's, I'm looking at you right now. There, that is a similarity that you can pass on. So. I think so. I think so. Nick, how did the good folks check out the great podcast, London is Blue, all across the Blue Wire Network, everywhere? What uh, what, what are they in store for this week? They, well, we're going to have five or six podcasts out this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> buckle in. It's mm-hmm. going to be a wild ride. Uh, we're trying to figure out how to cover all this kind of uh, Roman sanctioned news and get it right and not just be first and get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you want to come over, like Twitter is probably the best place to see our episodes and get our links and stuff like that. At London Blue Pod is is our is our Twitter handle. Uh, lots of thousand followers, man. Y'all have killed it on the we're, social media game. We're trying. Uh, we have a we have a, a a really important piece of our team is is helping us out on social. Uh, his name is Ishan Shah. He is absolutely crucial to to everything that we're doing and growing the show, but. Um, but yeah, Twitter is where we're at. So we just like that fun there. We're, we might do a couple of spaces coming up, uh, just do some like live stuff. So yeah, that'd be great. All right, go do that. You guys keep out the great work. Uh, in all seriousness, I wish you all the best and hope everything goes well and that things pick up because it's better when both, uh, Liverpool and Chelsea are in good standing, right? Like we want normalcy. We want good standing. I, I hope so. I mean, if you think about the matches that our two teams have played this season, they've mm. been as close as close can be. So hopefully uh, hopefully we're able to continue that. Let's hope so. Nick, thank you so much for the time. I greatly appreciate it. We'll have to check back in again soon. Absolutely. All right, that'll do it for another edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, the Friday, March 11th, 2022 edition of the pod. Thank you for choosing the Chase Thomas Podcast today for your listening pleasure. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. And if you like listening to Nick and Will on today's edition of the podcast, please do make sure and you leave this show a five-star rating review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, tell a friend, coworker, family member why you like the show and why they should listen too. That'd be great. Um, also, 
you could watch this very podcast and every other podcast by going to YouTube, uh, type in the Chase Thomas podcast, hit that subscribe button, never miss an episode on the visual front. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. Uh, new episode come in tomorrow. Might be a different setup this weekend with March Madness. Uh, Will and I might be doing a live Selection Sunday um, Selection Sunday evening uh, recap. But yeah, more episodes coming every day, as you know, on this very podcast. But maybe a different different uh, way of doing things this week. So we'll see. Uh, but still, new episode coming tomorrow. Thank you, as always, for listening. Email me with any questions, concerns, anything like that. Podcast at gmail.com. And yeah, all right. New episode tomorrow. You guys have yourself a great rest of your Friday. And I will talk to you all very soon. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.